Daniel knew about desperation. Noel left us with three words uh, last week. Desperation, darkness, and impatience. Daniel, in the Old Testament, understood all of those. For 70 plus years, he understood those words. Desperation, darkness, impatience. He was a teenager when he was taken into captivity. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And, and teenagers like Daniel, were taken into his court. Uh, Jerusalem, where Daniel in all likelihood lived, and the temple were destroyed. We don't know anything about Daniel's family. They were either killed during that time, or they too were taken into captivity, but separated from their son. Daniel, at 17 or so, knew desperation and darkness being placed into the service of a despot like Nebuchadnezzar was uh, frightening. Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a dream. And in one of those dreams, he demanded that his whole group of advisors tell him, tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. And they said, well, well okay, you tell us the dream. We'll get... and no, no, no. He said, I'm not going to play your games anymore. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation because I don't think you guys really know what you're doing. <clears throat> and I kept saying, well, nobody's ever asked anybody to do that. And so he says, okay, great. Because of this, the king was angry, furious, commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed, literally ripped limb by limb. And Daniel and his companions were part of that group of wise men. So as a teen... After only a couple of years in Babylon, now he's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die in Babylon. A horrible death. A decree went forth that the wise men were to be slain, and they brought Daniel and his companions to slay them. Can you imagine the desperation, the darkness of what it would feel like to be a teenager in captivity in the court of a foreign king, and now you're about to be killed? And it's not just when he's a teen, when he's an old man. Daniel's thrown into a den of lions. He's thrown into a den of lions because people were jealous of his position. So his co-advisors came to King Darius. Oh, King, live forever. And all the presidents of the kingdom and the perfects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors had agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They set Daniel up to be thrown into a den of liars, lions. So can you imagine, again, this... I mean, like the people you're supposed to be your co-workers all of a sudden turning on you so that, hey, we want to set this up so you die. So again, Daniel is faced with the situation of desperation. 
Can you imagine being thrown into a den of lions? That's a pretty dark place to be. One of the things that Daniel did is that God continued to communicate through the years to him in captivity. He was a seer. He was an interpreter of dreams. And I kind of I laugh sometimes when people kind of like think, well, gosh, it, just, it would just be great if God would, if God would communicate to me like with dreams, you know, like kind of like they did in the Old Testament. Well, have you ever read Daniel's life? Because God does that. And Daniel says, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed. I'm pale because I'm like, I don't know what in the world. But I kept the matter in my mind. That is, I kept what God was communicating to myself because it was so terrifying. Then later he says, I, Daniel, after a dream, after seeing, after interpretation, I was overcome and I lay sick for days. So talk about insult to injury. I'm in captivity. I've been in captivity all of my life. Now God's communicating to me. And then when God communicates to me, he shows me the interpretation and then I'm sick for days. Nauseous. And I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled. I was appalled by the vision. And I did not understand it. Talk about desperation. Talk about darkness. And so we find Daniel in the ninth chapter after 70 years in captivity. So he's, you know, 85, approaching 90 years old. All of his life, he's lived in captivity in a foreign land. And he's remembering, you know, God, you, you spoke to Jeremiah the prophet and, and you predicted through him that this captivity would last 70 years. I've lived in captivity for 70 years, so now I'm really wondering what's next, what's going to happen next. And so he's praying this confession. He's confessing the rebellion of his people, confessing his own rebellion. Oh, God. The great and terrible God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. He's just going back to what the old covenant said. If you love me and keep the, co- the covenant, I will bless you. You'll stay in the land. If you don't and you disobey me and you don't ke- keep the covenant, I'm going to remove you from the land. Daniel's real. It's God, you're, you, you're, you're a covenant-keeping God. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath, Deuteronomy the end of Deuteronomy, which were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. All have sinned. All have rebelled. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And boy, Daniel understood that. I've been under the correction of God for my sin and the sin of my people 
for 70 years. And yet, oh God, dare I hope that you end this captivity. Daniel 9, 20 to 23, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. So he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm beseeching you for the people of Israel. I'm, I'm interceding for the city, Jerusalem. I'm interceding for the temple that was in Jerusalem. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Truthfully, the angel Gabriel, whom I'd seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Gabriel came and the angel said to me, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, a word went forth and I have come to tell it to you because you are greatly loved. Daniel had had 70 years to question whether or not he was really loved. The circumstances of his life would would be that, you know, there were times of great darkness, despair, and then he would be elevated, great favor, and then then it was just this up and down. So this was a good word. Daniel, God's listening to your prayers. Daniel, you are loved. Therefore, consider and understand the vision. So prayers are now being answered out of years of desperation, years of darkness, years of impatience. Now an angel comes with a message. Gabriel delivers the answer. You're greatly loved. I've come to give you wisdom and understanding concerning the future. And he gives them this messianic promise in the 70 weeks. Seventy weeks of years are decreed concerning your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, a messiah, There shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, that one, he will be cut off. And shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to that, that end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week and a half of the week. He shall cause sacrifice and offering to cease. And upon the wing of abomination shall come one who brings desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. As you read that, you probably want to reread that and then reread that and read it again. Let me just summarize it with the highlights, the, the, you know, we won't, let's not go to, let's just look at the big things. Daniel is praying about Jerusalem. He's praying about the temple. He's praying about the people. 
And so there is an answer that comes to him through Gabriel from God concerning Israel and Jerusalem. And in the message that comes to him, there, there, he's, God say, I, there will be a restoration. There will be a rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And then he, just right in the center of all of that, he says, and there will be the coming of an anointed one, a Messiah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the good news. If we could have stopped there, Daniel probably would have been really happy. But he doesn't stop there. So now remember that tension that Noel was talking about? So I've got this good news concerning Israel, Jerusalem. There's going to be a restoration. There's going to be a rebuilding. Messiah will come, but... Notice all the but. In a troubled time. And in that time, in that troubled time, Messiah will be cut off. Literally, Messiah will die. Jerusalem and the temple that you're hoping will be rebuilt, it will be rebuilt, but it will be destroyed. Sacrifice, an offering which you've not been able to do for 70 years, well, that's going to cease too. And then there's this statement which most of us don't even understand, but it just sounds so foreboding. Upon the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I don't need to understand that to just say, wow, that's not good news. (laughs) Maybe it's too quick to go through that really interesting dynamic passage but let me just kind of tell you what I think the main point is Daniel like you and me lived in a desperate and dark time and he was very impatient for God to move for God to act for God to save for God to restore for God to rebuild And God finally, after 70 years, and after many brushes with death, he finally comes and says, I hear you. And it will happen. But Daniel, don't put your hope in your family. Daniel, don't put your hope in your nation. Daniel, don't put your hope in religion. Daniel, don't put your hope in what you can sacrifice, what you can offer. Daniel, don't put your hope in a holy place. Daniel, don't put your hope in a worldly leader, an earthly leader. Daniel, there's only one person that you can put your hope on. It's Messiah. And my friends, as I look at us, and as I read the news and the situations of where we are, I just got to stand before us and say, my friends, our only hope is the same. We have only one to hope in. The only hope we have is Messiah. That's it. Every longing we have for life to be peaceful, for life to be joyful, 
for life to be people that love each other, for wars to cease, for hunger to cease, for illness to cease, just goes on and on and on. There's only one place that we can hope, and that's Messiah. Most of us come from broken families. The family is not going to save us. I would love for the family to be saved. But our family is not going to save us. And all of the rhetoric, (laughs) our nation is not going to save us. We have a wonderful heritage. If we would move forward on that heritage, it would be better. But it does not seem that we're moving forward on that heritage. It seems that we're moving away from that heritage. Our nation is not going to save us and our nation is not going to save others on the planet. Our religion, if we take what Jesus has given to us and turn it into a religious exercise, that religion will not save us. There's no religion on the planet that will save any of us. I mean, we know ourselves well enough. We, we understand we like to make sacrifices. We like to make offerings. And we like to, in our mind, we may not say it out loud, say, say God, you see what I'm doing, right? God, you see what I'm doing. And so, God, you're obligated then to save me because based upon my actions. And God says, no, I'm not. Because your sacrifice and your offering means nothing to me. Because you'll have only one place to hope. It's not in our activity. It's his activity. Now, I don't know how many of us keep up with that holy place in Jerusalem, but that, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. That holy place. It, it's, if it's restored, it, it's not going to save anybody. And this year of people vying to be our leader or the, lead, or the leader of other nations. That, there's, no, there's no earthly leader. Our only hope is Messiah. Everything else will fail. Everything else nurtures our rebellion against Messiah. And what I long for is that rebellion to end. What I long for is for you and I to fully devote ourselves to the one and only Messiah, Jesus. He's it. He is our absolutely only hope for everything. So I'd like to end our time and just ask if we could position ourselves in the place that Daniel was, which is making confession. I want to confess our rebellion. Because when Daniel did that, I confess my rebellion, I confess our rebellion, then Gabriel came to him with the message that we need. There's one that can save us. So if you'd stand with me. If I could just say a prayer over us, and then I just would like for us to take a moment 
to confess. What is our rebellion? You can personalize it if you wish. This is my rebellion. But let's just have a time, a confession. And after that time of confession, I'll conclude. Okay? So Holy Spirit, I ask that that same spirit of intercession would fall upon us. And I ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction to us and that we would be able to confess our own sin and also to begin to confess the sin of our nation, to begin to confess the sin of the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, empower real confession now that you might meet us in a place of truth and vulnerability and honesty. So I invite you, as you sense there's something to confess, that you just say those words out loud for all of us to hear.